You are listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For many years, the treatment of those infected with sexually transmitted diseases has included recommendations for including the notification and treatment of partners. Lately, medical researchers and legal minds are studying how patients' partners are accessed and treated by the medical system. They are proposing more effective methods for disease prevention and control. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Baltimore, Maryland, is Attorney James Hodge. And joining us from Seattle, Washington, is Dr. Matthew Golden. Mr. Hodge is with the Center for Law and the Public's Health, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And Dr. Golden is an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington School of Medicine. He is also Director of the STD Control Program for Public Health in Seattle and King Counties in Washington. Welcome, James Hodge and Dr. Golden. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. Before we discuss partner treatment issues, Dr. Golden, could you please give us some current figures on the incidence of sexually transmitted diseases in the U.S.? Well, when you say incidence, I think what you can say is we have roughly, I think it is 3 million cases of chlamydial infection annually and roughly a million cases of gonorrhea reported in the U.S. annually. So about 6% of women in family planning clinics in my part of the country are infected with chlamydial infection, probably a little bit higher nationally and a substantially smaller proportion of women family planning clinics would be infected with gonorrhea. And what is traditional partner management for sexually transmitted diseases? For the most part, I think what clinicians have done for gonorrhea and chlamydia is tell patients they need to get their partners treated, and that's about where it ends. For syphilis, quite a bit more has traditionally been done. And can you tell us what is expedited partner therapy for STDs? Expedited partner therapy refers to the practice of treating sex partners without requiring that they first seek a complete medical evaluation or see a clinician. And in most instances, that means giving patients medication or a prescription medication to give to their sex partners. Mr. Hodge, what are the main legal concerns regarding expedited partner therapy? Well, anytime you're talking about the provision of medical services or pharmaceutical products to some portion of the population... He obviously raised legal issues there about the way in which those specific medicines are delivered. With APT, what you have here is literally the bypassing of a direct physician contact with a potential patient, that being the partner here, to deliver safe and effective antibiotics to that partner. But when you bypass that traditional route of dispensing pharmaceutical medications in the United States, you raise the potential issues of whether that goes beyond uh, existing medical practice and or maybe implicates liability concerns as well. The Centers for Disease Control, they evaluated numerous studies of expedited partner therapy and concluded that it is useful. Doctor, can you tell us more about that research and how much more effective is expedited partner therapy compared with traditional management? So what was done, and again here we're talking about gonorrhea and chlamydia, is three randomized controlled trials have evaluated the practice of giving people medications to give to their sex partners for the most part. What we saw across the three trials was that all three observed decreases in reinfection rates for people who were given medications versus those who did not. That said, the decrease in chlamydia is relatively small, so you're talking about a decline from about 13% or so to about 10% in that neighborhood. For gonorrhea, the declines are pretty big, so about 10% to about 3% in terms of reinfection rates. In terms of getting more partners treated, they 
impact tends to be quite a bit bigger. So probably in the 20 to 30 percent more partners getting treated. Mr. Hodge, as you mentioned, physicians generally do not prescribe medicines to individuals without first examining them. But there are exceptions to that rule where medications are given to a patient through someone else and there are not legal complications. Tell us about some of these situations. Sure. That's a great question because it really kind of highlights what we were trying to do in in regards to assessing the legal environment for conducting EPT nationally. One of the things we first noted is you know, despite that sort of general recognition that doctors are not well positioned to dispense medications outside a direct physician-patient relationship or clinical examination, the types of examples that are prevailing out there in regards to how that happens nationally are really quite uh, well known. When you're dealing with patients, for example, of limited abilities, persons with mental disabilities, persons with physical disabilities, persons who are of senior in status or age, it may very well be the case that doctors are well positioned to provide those medications to their caretakers without directly having seen those patients. That's something that's quite common in regards to how we may be able to expedite the provision of care there. There's all sorts of ways in which, you know, specific types of medications are dispensed regularly without advanced clinical examination. The flu vaccine is just a common example of that. Yes, it does impose some risk for some persons, but yet we routinely dispense it to the tune of millions of persons per year without some sort of advanced clinical determination. And even some prescription medications can be purchased by the partners of persons who would most need the drugs without those partners having any proof in regards to delivery of those medications to the actual patient, him or herself. These types of examples kind of underlie a very common theme, and that is to protect the public's health, we don't want to insert various different legal mechanisms that would actually hamper or in somehow limit the ability of those patients who need the medications most actually getting access to them. This is especially true for safe and effective medications like the types of antibiotics that may be used in treating chlamydia or gonorrhea, as Dr. Golden may know. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guests are Dr. Matthew Golden of the University of Washington School of Medicine and Attorney James Hodge of Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Mr. Hodge, as you just mentioned, there are many precedents of physicians being able to prescribe without direct contact with patients under certain circumstances. And with regard to doing this for STDs, you've pointed out that the prescriptions are safe. What is it about expedited partner therapy that has some physicians concerned regarding liability? That's a great question, because if these medications, the antibiotics that we traditionally use to treat these conditions are so safe, why would we, you know, in any way, shape, or form be concerned about dispensing the persons that we haven't seen? Well, doctors particularly note in regards to, you know, what the anticipated standards for practice are in their specific jurisdictions, that no matter how safe a prescription medication may be, there really are standardized rules through which they may be prescribed. And EPD doesn't follow that standardized rule. It literally says you can double-dose the antibiotic for your patient and have that patient delivered to their partner you know, the equivalent dose so that they can jointly treat the STD in this particular case, that feels wrong. That seems wrong. And it's certainly not something we would utilize in other specific types of medications that might raise heightened risks. There's a couple of other issues with it as well. Not only are there, in some states, very specific mandates against this specific practice, something we study very systematically at our Centers for Law and the Public's Health, but other medical practitioners along the way may also have impediments to implementing EPT. For example, pharmacists. 
they may be under very strict constraints to not issue or to provide drugs to persons who do not have an identified prescription for that drug. So it may be very hard for a partner to go in and receive a prescription or have a prescription filled by a pharmacist who's aware or knows that that partner has not actually undergone clinical evaluation to verify that they're a legitimate user of that particular drug. These types of impediments, coupled with the sheer nature of doctors' concerns about potential liability of the partner somehow having an adverse reaction to the antibiotic or other types of conditions related to that, is what sometimes drives some concern about whether EPD is legal or illegal in a specific jurisdiction. Can you clarify a bit more about the involvement of pharmacists? If a patient presents a pharmacist with a prescription and it's signed by the physician, where's the dilemma for the pharmacist? Well, you know, EPT is practiced differently in various jurisdictions. And Dr. Golden, he is well positioned, uh, can assure you to tell us how it's done in Washington State and other jurisdictions as well. But, you know, some of the ways it may be done is twofold. It may be that the patient who has actually seen the doctor receives a single prescription and just says, you need two times the dosage of the antibiotic because we have instructed you to provide the second dose to your partner. You know, but it might also say, we're going to give you two prescriptions, one for you and one for your partner. And then the partner has to literally be named in that specific second prescription. The partner has to come in often and actually fill the prescription. It's one step removed from what we would probably desire to expedite the receipt of the drug here. But in the same case, it may be required by state law. When you have that circumstance, the feel for it, the pharmacist may get a sense that one party along this exchange has not been adequately evaluated. When a pharmacist sees a double dosage of a specific antibiotic, they may not be there to question whether the doctor was right or wrong to issue it, but they are there to try to protect the patient's interests, and they may raise various concerns as well. This might particularly be true in some smaller locales, not necessarily large urban centers, but smaller locales where pharmacists and patients have a more direct working knowledge of each other and their health status. It's an impediment to the degree to which it prohibits or limits the ability of the pharmacist to accurately fill that prescription. I see. Dr. Golden, in your own research, you looked at traditional partner management in metropolitan health departments and found some interesting numbers when it came to notifying partners of those with STDs. Well, I mean, I think there are a couple issues that you're alluding to. One is that health departments mostly don't provide partner services for people with gonorrhea and chlamydia. And I think that's an important thing for physicians and other providers to realize that overall, fewer than 20% of people with gonorrhea or chlamydia are ever going to have contact with the health department about their partners. So it's basically the health departments in the U.S. are leaving this up to the docs, and the docs are mostly leaving it up to the patients. When we looked at this in a study where we contacted 150 providers in Seattle who had recently diagnosed a case of chlamydia infection, only 17% of the providers had any idea whether or not their patient's partner had been treated. So really, I think what ended up happening was the health departments have left it up to the providers, and the providers have left it up to the patients, and then they don't really, there's no follow-up. So it's in that context that I think one has to consider expedited partner therapy, that we don't really have a system beyond simply telling people, you need to get your partner treated to assure that happens. If you could put into place the expedited partner therapy, what would you anticipate would be some of the clinical factors or barriers Well, we have put it into place. So where I live in Seattle, and we're actually doing this statewide in the state of Washington, the health department is providing the medications for the partners for free for the entire state. We provide those medications prepackaged with information for the sex partner and some condoms to meet the state pharmacy board requirements and to meet the various requirements related to the law. 
So in where I live, and James was alluding to this, it is not legal to simply write for two doses for the index patient, for the person you originally diagnosed. Every person who's supposed to receive antimicrobials needs a prescription written for them. It is permissible for somebody to pick up medications for their sex partner as long as the medications are provided with information, including a drug allergy warning. And so we've sort of arranged for all that information to be prepackaged. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Matthew Golden and James Hodge. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.